So welcome to another episode of the Cam Marketing Save the Planet podcast. And today, Gemma and I are thrilled to be joined by Sophie Howe, Sustainability Futures and Wellbeing Advisor and the first Future Generations Commissioner for Wales. Sophie, welcome. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So shall we start with a little bit of an introduction to yourself and some background, Sophie, about what you've been doing? Yes. Okay. So, um, so as you heard, I was the first Future Generations Commissioner for Wales. Your listeners are probably wondering what on earth is a Future Generations Commissioner, and that's um, entirely normal because I was I was the first one in the world, or the only one in the world for wow. <laughs> uh, for a fair while. Um, so, my job um, was uh, created by the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, which was a piece of law that was passed in um, the Senate, the Welsh Parliament, in 2015. And um, it does a number of things, just a very quick canter through that. It sets out seven long-term wellbeing goals for Wales, a vision for the Wales we want to leave behind to future generations. Um, it places on a statutory foot in these kind of ways that our organisations must work. So they must look to the long-term, they must prevent problems from occurring, they must uh, work holistically. They must work together, so to collaborate, and they must involve citizens. And then it establishes an f- independent future generations commissioner. So my job, I often describe it as kind of both coach and referee. So um, to advise and support these public institutions on what they should be doing uh, to reach these long-term goals. And those goals are very closely linked back to the United Nations Sustainable Development yeah. Goals. And then to monitor and assess the progress they're making and be a bit of kind of grit in the oyster, if you like, um, and call them out or call out if they're not um, if they're not acting in the interests of future generations. Amazing. And there are se- there are a number of these, aren't they? There are seven, seven. A prosperous Wales, a resilient Wales, a more equal Wales, a healthier Wales, a Wales of cohesive communities, a Wales of vibrant culture and thriving Welsh language, and a globally responsible Wales. So very much aligned with the United Nations SDGs. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, when I was reading about this, what I found uh, interesting about this is that it's a legal obligation. Is that's that's quite different, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, across the world, we're seeing, um, you know, some governments who are really focused and got a lot of infrastructure around how are they delivering against the SDGs. You've got other governments who are doing well-being economics and well-being budgeting, Jacinda Ardern, probably in uh, yeah. New Zealand, the sort of, you know, poster child um, for that. Um, you've got um, some governments who are very focused on, um, how they use future trends and scenarios and foresighting or anticipatory governance, if you want to use the, the technical term. Um, but none of them really, none of those uh, different approaches are on a statutory footing. Yeah. So there's the problem. They can, you know, they can be changed at the whim of kind of, you know, elections and so on. Um, you know, they're seen as, you know, nice to do. Often they are you know, part of a myriad of different, you know, considerations and frameworks and so on that government and public institutions have got to take into account. So the difference here is it's the law, you have to do it. um, And there's going to be someone, you know, on your case if you don't. Yeah. And that someone is you. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, when Gemma and I were writing and researching uh, the first book and indeed this, it's and of course, we're we're kind of more apace with the legislation and regulation and things that are in place now. But back when we were writing and researching, you know, four or five years ago, um, 
it was it was a case of oh well, there must be there must be some accountability there's got to be you can't just say you're going to do it there's got to be some collective yeah. responsibility about this uh-huh. you know it isn't just a nice thing to join it but it was we couldn't find anything no no again you know which is why i was you know the only future generations commissioner in the in in the world because um you know it's quite a brave government to be fair yeah um, and, and I'm not entirely sure Wales knew what they would get themselves into here, but it's quite a brave government who are going to say, okay, we're going to legally commit ourselves to do this and we're going to appoint someone independent to, you know, to, to publicly call us out if we, if we don't. That's quite a, um, a, brave, uh, a brave thing to do. In fact, um, there was this, um, I, I was thinking about it because I was with him on the weekend in the Hay Festival, our climate minister, um, we we were in a session with the Irish foreign minister who's quite taken with the Future Generations Act, wants to have one for Ireland. And we had this sort of roundtable discussion with him. And the Irish foreign minister, Simon Coveney, said, what we need is one of her, pointing to, to me. And then our climate minister sort of shouted from across the table, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> so I've just said to him, I'm actually going to take that as, you know, job well done. Yeah. If I'm giving, yeah. you know, if, if I'm giving you enough grief, yeah. that's, um, that's my... That's my role, but not entirely grief, you know, support and advice. Critical friendship. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 I think the other key difference is 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 uh, Wales having to think about the long term impact Mm -hmm. of decisions, you know, to work Mm -hmm. better with people and communities and prevent Mm -hmm. persistent problems, because we know currently a lot of the systems we say they're broken, you know, and they're not serving society and and, and, and people in, in the public. So, you know. How how are they managing that long? Because we know governments short term stints mm-hmm. and short term mm-hmm. thinking, plus cost of living crisis and things that are happening in the now, are really anchoring us to the now. So how do they how do they manage that long term view? Well, you know, it's still really difficult. You can have a law requiring you to do that, but that doesn't mean that um, you know the demand is not going to exist in the healthcare system, which means you're going to have to plough all your money into how do we create more beds yeah. and so on and so on, which is actually you know a really short-term intervention. Um, so this is about kind of incremental shift, I suppose. Just because you have a piece of law doesn't mean that you know the ways that we've done things for centuries probably um, is going to change overnight. But it does, um, the, the kind of the requirements for us to join the dots between different areas and work together are actually one of the, they're the kind of key pillars which also help us to get to the to the long-term and kind of preventative interventions. So if I told you, for example, that, um, you know, we were stopping spending money on building roads in Wales um, and that that is a public health intervention, um, you might say, well, well, what, where's, you know, where's that coming from? So here's the connection. Um, on the one hand, we've got um, you know about fourteen between fourteen and seventy percent of our um, carbon emissions coming from um, from transport sector. Mm-hmm. Um, we know because the experts tell us, and you know increasingly they're telling us that the biggest threat to human health is planetary health. So we need to reduce. Um, those emissions. We also know that we've had illegal levels of air pollution um, and we've got increasing rates of obesity and those will be just as much the case in, in England, Scotland and probably yep. most parts of, of the world. Um, and we also know that because we've invested all of our money building roads, our public transport is not reliable, it's not um, affordable and, and so on and so on. 
We also know that um, for our poorer communities who are most likely to be in poor health, um, actually they really rely on public transport because yeah. they can't afford cars and um, and so on. So when you stop spending on roads and that, you know, is very popular in on you know for some people and very unpopular for others it's actually a long-term public uh, public health intervention so what we're trying to do in wales is to think about the long term in in those ways and i suppose what we could have done or what a future generations commissioner could have done is, is and, and, and you know perhaps we'll need to do um is to say right what are the like massive existential threats uh, facing us if you um if you listen to a, a guy called toby ord he's a professor of existential threat at oxford university good god imagine being a professor of existential right. threat you know, you'd be definitely quite yeah. depressed most days <laughs> Do not hang out with those people if you're having a down day, okay? Because he says that there's a, a one in six chance that we don't survive. Humanity doesn't survive beyond the end of this um, century. So, and there's all sorts of risks, isn't there? There's, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's AI, there's climate, there's all of these yeah. sorts of so yes we do need to take into account some of those things and plan and prepare and you could say that you know live case studies there in terms of covid etc we haven't prepared for those big threats but we don't know exactly what they're going to be we don't know exactly when they're going to come we should still um you know look and try and work out a kind of response to them but there's a whole load of stuff that we know with like a pretty high degree of certainty is coming our way we're still not doing anything about it yeah. so climate you know it's it, it's here you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're dealing with a future on climate rights right now. An aging population. What are we going to do when there's double the number of over, you know, over 65s by 2036 and our healthcare system is already uh, crippled? You know, it's, it's all yeah. of these things. So it's about really looking at, yes, the long term. I think in Wales, we're talking about really the long term as in the next generation. Yeah. Uh, as we develop on our journey, then I hope we will get better at looking at that, you know, what about 100 years time? What about 200 years time? And taking decisions in that context. But it's a real shift just to get a government to think actually even beyond the next election, so 10, 15, 20 years. It's yeah, and that incremental and bite-sized approach as well, given how complex sustainability mm-hmm. is as a subject, you know, everything's connected. If you, you know, climate change impacts now biodiversity which impacts yeah. food chains which you know the, the, it just exactly. everything is interconnected isn't it so yeah. I mean that's 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 amazing that they've even just said that they will start to consider those long-term impacts but I guess mm-hmm. it's also having the resource and giving the people time to actually do that work as well isn't it yeah you're, you're absolutely right and I think if there are lessons that we've learned um from Wales that um we basically produced a bit of law um, and we set up a, a commissioner. So the, the law, I was appointed in February 2016. The law came into force on April the 1st, 2016. And there was me and two people on secondment from government with this like massive mission. And we've pretty much not done anything beforehand, some bits and bobs to sort of work with a few local authorities to work out how they might do it. But we didn't invest enough or we didn't um, make resources available mm. for that cultural shift and that is you know that's huge so it took um at least the first three years of the act being enforced to start seeing some traction and, and change because what happened in those first three years is 
the public sector responded in the way that the public sector loved to respond to stuff. They wrote plans, they wrote strategies, they used well-being and sustainability words to describe the same old stuff that they'd been doing for decades. And they were like, there we are, our work here is done. We have now done the Future Generations Act. So a lot of those first few years were utterly frustrating about going in and me saying, well, yes, so what? So what is actually changing? And, you know, you know, you're telling me here that your approach on reaching the goal of a healthier Wales is you're going to do more screening on X, Y, or Z disease. Well, yes, we do need screening, but over here, you're building more roads and you're adding to the air pollution. And over here, you're still not considering the climate crisis. So you need to show me how you're making those connections between things, both so that we're not, you know, doing one thing over here, which is making a negative impact over there. But more positively, there are so many things that we could be doing. You know, if if the thing that, you know, presses your buttons is, you know, effective use of public money and effective policymaking, by not joining up, we're like, you know, completely missing opportunities. So we need to be thinking both about what we do, how is that going to affect now and in the future, and how does it make the biggest contribution to well-being, and then how we decide to do that. So you could say the government are going to build 20,000 affordable homes. That was a commitment in their their manifesto. Great. You can see homes have a big impact on health, homes have an impact on community, so on and so on. But they need to be low carbon homes if we're going to meet our carbon. Yeah. Um, And we need to have taken a long-term approach. And this is part of what I was doing, saying to the skills department, Um, Hello, skills officials, you're developing a skills plan and your skills plan needs to tell us where we're getting the skills for to build the 20,000 low carbon affordable homes because we currently don't have those skills. And we needed to really have been acting on that about 10 years ago to get that skills pipeline coming through. And by the way, when you're developing that skills pipeline, um, it's really good for people to have good quality jobs. It's good for their health. And if we make sure that they're not all white men in those good quality jobs, that's really good for meeting the goal of the more equal Wales. So this is where... Yeah, it does joined up. Yeah. But, you know, it's actually kind of common sense, but the system kind of works against that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's it almost... Has- I mean, the way you expect... I mean, it's... And, and of course, that's... You're talking at, at, at this government level, but of course it's it's an operation, right? It's operational. That yeah. same operational thinking, that kind of systems thinking, is what we need in every business as well. Absolutely. Because because it's all is this is this cascading through? Because as the nature of you're saying, oh, we're going to build these homes, and and of course, yes, you're talking about the pipeline of skills and talents for that. But mm-hmm. there's going to be suppliers in that supply chain. Is this now trickling into the level of impacting business in Wales as well as, yes, the government, as you say, this very courageous move, you know, this very public accountability and also this 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 uh, openness, I suppose, to have this joined up approach and this systems thinking and and is everything interconnected? I'm sure there's Mm -hmm. huge efficiencies that you're finding in there as well, Sophie, that ordinarily would just be wasted because there's somebody looking across the whole organisation for, Mm -hmm. you know, for for want of a better world. So, but of course, this is where business must be, Mm -hmm. must be kind of laddering up into this as well somehow. 
tell us a little bit about how that's starting to play out. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, so the Act itself only applies to the public sector. So our yeah. government, our local authorities, health boards, all of our main public sector um, organisations. But the first, way, the first place, I guess, that the um, that it, it started to bite in terms of the um, the private sector was through procurement. Yeah. So. The law specifically says there are a number of areas where we expect to see public bodies implementing the Act and procurement is is one of them. So really interestingly, the construction industry was one of the first um, private sector industries to to come to me in sort of, you know, about a year into the the legislation coming into force saying, actually, you know, um, we're being asked through our contracting. And that is, you know, it started off relatively small as public sector was getting their head around it. And now it's sort of, you know, being being mainstreamed, I guess. So actually, we want to be, you know, the construction industry said to me, we want to be treated almost as a sort of, um, you know, 45th public body named under the Act. So that everything that we're doing as an industry is aligned into the seven wellbeing goals. That's really, that's really powerful. So you can have the, the drive, you're not going to get that tender unless you do this. Yeah, but also, yeah. you know, interestingly, a lot of the construction industry was saying to me, we've been trying to push the, the public sector in this way. Um, and, you know, we're just coming back and, oh, no, we want lowest cost, we want lowest cost. Well, it's changed the conversation now. Yeah. So a lot of the private sector construction industry was saying, like, we really welcome this because this we know, you know, they, they deal with, you know, crap buildings don't they that yeah. like you know, they're having to retrofit and yeah. do crazy yeah. stuff too yeah. because of the lack of long um uh, the lack of long term so it sort of makes sense to them um and then increasingly what we're also seeing is um you know you wouldn't think it was revolutionary would you for a country to have a set of long-term goals it's like i mean obvious like like clearly that's what we need no other country <laughs> has this though okay um and how that connects back to the the private sector is that there's nothing the private sector like more than a bit of certainty you know and we are operating you know in this VUCA um VUCA world yes. yep. volatile you know, uncertain uh, ambiguous complex and tangible, complex that's what that's yep. the um but at least if we know where we're going they know where the government's going. They know where the country's going because it's set out through yeah. the vision of these long-term goals. So they can then start organising and, you know, and, and, and working in that way. And they're actually increasingly starting to see themselves. And they talk about this as part of Team Wales. The only way we're going to achieve these goals is, is through a, um, a Team Wales approach. And that becomes, you know, really exciting that they're then able to corral um, around this this vision. So they're actually like knocking my door saying, how can you help us do this? What do we need to do? Where can we partner, um, you know, with government and the public sector to achieve some of these things? And I think that's, um, you know, that's a movement building in a a country. Absolutely. And that's the collaboration and co-creation piece, isn't it? Of us taking this on. But also it removes that need we've just... We've just, as human beings and as, as businesses, we're just hell-bent on competing with each other. And that means stamping each other out, doesn't it? As opposed to, guess what? We can compete on who's the most sustainable and work together. And actually, there's that long-term vision. There's that long-term foundation security. And, and overall, that absolutely is the way forward. But um, talking about communities now, so the people, yeah. how, how is it being received and um, how is it playing out in, re- in relation to how the communities get involved? It's 
so I mean it's it's um it's quite a mixed bag so you know and this is the sort of warts and all version here so um, there's a lot more kind of community involvement and engagement. For a start, are something called public service boards, which are kind of a culmination of all of our the key public services and others um, in each local authority area, have to undertake what are called wellbeing assessments in their area. They have to talk to citizens. You know, what, what are the things you're worried about now and into the future? They have to look at all the data around that. They have to um, talk to citizens and communities around, you know, what are your aspirations for the future? We've got these seven wellbeing goals for the whole country, but in Kafili, you know, what does that look like? Well, yeah. how, do they, how does that, should that manifest itself um, and so on? Um, you've got an increasing number of, you know, I suppose what we call sort of civil society. So, you know, uh, voluntary sector organisations, NGOs and so on, who don't have to, but are increasingly basing their whole approaches around delivering the the seven wellbeing goals. Um, you know, are we doing enough of this? And, you know, are people in the pub talking about the Future Generations Act? Well, um, I wouldn't say, you know, people are in the pub are necessarily talking about it. What you do tend to get is a kind of, you know, a frustration, I suppose, um, when, you know, why isn't the commissioner intervening? There's a planning application in my area and I don't think they've applied the Future Generations Act properly and isn't the commissioner going to step in and, and do that? Well, you know, there are like 20,000 planning applications in Wales. So if I stepped in on every one of them, I wouldn't have much time for anything else and probably wouldn't make that much impact, to be honest. So, you know, there's some frustrations there. Um, there are some real, like, tensions. So, you know, I said we've stopped building roads in Wales, yeah. pretty much stopped building roads. Yeah. Because we see that as a public health intervention. Um, we see that as a climate intervention. But what you then get is the politicians and the communities who were part of, you know, yes, we should declare a climate emergency in Wales, and yes, we need to take this seriously for everything apart from the road that needs to be built in my area. Yeah. So, you know, there... And this is where, you know, and I, I was in a part of a, a similar discussion in the Hay Festival uh, this weekend where, um, you know, we've got a big uh, wind farm developer who are, um, you know, going to help us to meet um, our, our targets in terms of uh, power from renewable. But at the moment, it looks like that's going to mean a lot of cabling and uh, pylons and, and so on going through the countryside. So there's real tensions there. Yeah. You know, we need to deliver this for meeting the future energy needs of the country. But, you know, we don't want the countryside blighted by pylons. So, you know, it's not an easy no. sort of um, thing. And there are, there's no, you know, it's not a, you know, it's not a magic wand to, to try to deal with all of these things but it does provide that framework for us to yeah. at least consider the future rather than just go oh well we just do whatever's most electorally popular now so so is it so wales has taken significant leadership in this space which is like you say you're are you still the only future <laughs> commissioner in the world well, um, there's there's a, a future commissioner in Gibraltar. It's tiny. Okay. Um, there is a future generations act currently going through the machinery of government in Scotland. Um, there's a private members bill in Ireland. The Balearic Islands have just um, passed a future generations act, and I am in my new role now, which is primarily helping um, you know uh, corporate organisations yes. and lots of 
other countries to do something similar, there's this increasing interest. So I think we're going to see more and more Future Generations Act pop up all over the place. One of the big drivers around that is that um, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, we've been doing um, a lot of um, a lot of work. You know, back when I started in 2016, I was like, we need the whole world doing this. This yeah. is kind of complete no-brainer. Right, we'll go to the UN Secretary General. You know, I'm a, I'm a you know a girl from a you know a poor part of Cardiff who was the first in in her family to go to university. I was like, right, we're gonna we're gonna yeah. do this. Um, thinking, okay, we probably won't get anywhere. Well, wow. I mean, he's just a year before last, he proposed in his um, policy agenda, it's called Our Common Agenda, that there should be a future generations declaration for the yeah. UN and the appointment of a UN special envoy. So if you ever think you're too small as oh, an individual no. or as yeah. a country to influence change on a global scale, you can look at what Wales is doing there. Yeah, and I love that. And and this brings me to the leadership bit again. So yes, Wales is doing this, but you as this sustainable, you know, this absolute champion for sustainability. The leadership skills around that, Sophie, this, because you are dealing with lots of complexity and lots of having to balance lots of things. And it's it's interesting. We've been designing some programs and working with some organizations around what does it really take to be a leader in this space? And 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 I'm interested in what your thoughts are about that, given somebody that's really driving the impact here. I mean, I think it's um, the most important thing that I would say as part of the um, the leadership role is being able to take a kind of systems view or a helicopter view across yeah. an entire system. And, you know, I have, um, God, I started my life as a, or started my career at 21 as you know, being elected to the local council. I've worked in uh, quality bodies. I've been in government. I've been in policing. I've been in a range of different public services and public policy sort of environments. So I see how they are all basically trying to achieve the same thing, but not um, really, um, you know, conveying that. And half the time they're all talking about the same thing, but in completely different languages um, and not recognizing the kind of connections between what they're talking about. So I think there's something there around that kind of, um, you know, systems leadership, which is really, really yeah. important. I think that there's something around, you know, I'm known, I suppose, as a fairly straight talking um, person. There's a, a, a Welsh word. Um, it's not actually a Welsh word, but it, we only use it in Wales. It's um, chopsy. I've got a necklace which says chopsy and chopsy means feisty or straight talking or, um, you know. So if I if my kids were answering back, I'd say, stop chopsing at me. Um, so I'm fairly chopsy. And, um, and I think sometimes these concepts, you know, net zero, sustainable development, life cycle, um, ecosystem services. What the hell is all of that? I mean, it turns people off immediately. Yeah. What we're talking about here is, you know, how do we build our homes in a way that we're not going to have to come back in 10 years' time and put all of these new measures in there because we've not built them to, you know, future uh, future fit standards? Um, why is walking better for our health as well as um, helping to, to, you know, help the environment um, and help us to chat with our neighbours to build kind of more connected communities? It's those kind of like really common sense things and stories, I think, that you need to tell that are so, so powerful. And clearly there's like a massive role for, um, for marketing there. But I think there's also, you know, there's got to be a willingness to kind of call out the, the madness 
um, where where these approaches are not being um, not being taken. And I suppose you know I've been an elected politician. Um, thank God I am no longer an elected politician. I've been into rehabilitation. I am now clean. Uh, <laughs> and um, I therefore. You know, I am able to speak on behalf of future generations. So, and, and to say difficult things and to say unpopular things because I'm not going to get voted out in the next election. And, yeah. you know, as much as we criticize our politicians, actually, we as citizens are as much to blame for this because we often demand that they do short term things. Yeah. So, there's something about not having that electoral pull. Um, you know, in terms of that kind of leadership, to be able to have the ability to, you know, to, to call out without being scared for your job or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's that communication piece, isn't it? You know, Michelle and I are on an absolute mission to to say stop broadcasting and start sharing, make it a conversation. Yeah. And you know, as you say, those terms, those terms net zero and carbon neutral, they mean mm. nothing. Even when you're yeah. in this space, you go, I'm still not entirely clear what it means when somebody puts it into a piece of messaging. And I think the role of marketing and the role of communicators, the roles of anybody actually in talking about this, you know, you talk about the construction industry wanting to be a key part of it. How are they talking about it to their suppliers to get them on board to talk about it to their suppliers to get them on board so that this this message gets through? And then with communities, how do you tell someone, you know, your house won't be there in five years time because it's going down the side of a cliff? Yeah, it's going to get flooded and washed away. Nobody wants that, do they? Yet this resistance to behavioural change on tiny things like, well, if I can't order from Amazon, get my package the next day because I have to consider X, Y and Z, then I'm not doing it. And it's it's, there's real tensions, isn't there, in when you talk about uh, climate change and all of these things where people just don't they want to they don't want to understand it, but they they need to. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know you you would be better um, versed on this than me. But there's there's a there's a challenge, isn't there, around communicating the scale, the seriousness, mm. and the urgency by which we need to act, and therefore potentially absolutely terrifying people. Yeah. And if you terrify people, you know, do you paralyze them into like, well, and I, you know, I'm just me and there's nothing that I can do and, and you know, I may as well give up. And there's this, you know, phrase that I, you know, think is really relevant here. We don't want kind of defeatism to become the new denialism. No. Um, and I think you also, and this is where the um, the long term goals for Wales are so important. You want to give people hope that a different, yeah. you know, a different future is is possible, and that they can point to that future. Now, it's not, you know, it's not a given that we reach that future, nope. um, not at all. But the thing, you know, the 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 reality of not reaching that future, particularly in terms of climate, is unthinkable. So we have to maintain that optimism that yep. we can get there. And it's far more easy to be optimistic when you know where you're going yes. rather than if the rest of the world yep. is going, well, um, you know, what would this is this a yep. bad thing? I don't know. Is this a good yep. thing? What should we do about this, this, this? There's no and framework. You, yeah. And when you know where you're going, you can galvanize people mm-hmm. to go in that direction. Yeah. yeah, you know, rather than everybody just sporadically, well, well, I don't know what to do, you know, running around like headless chickens. No, we've got a focus, we've mm-hmm. got an objective. This is what you need to do. These are the goals that we're focused on. Get on board. And, exactly. and, and that engagement and that communication around 
making it matter to them. You know, mm-hmm. often this mm-hmm. is where it gets missed in the communications. Many of the communications and campaigns we've seen, it's, it's kind of like that big so what question, you know, yeah. and so what? Yeah. What does yeah. that? You've saved X thousand gigatons of, you know, that, that, you know, that means nothing to anybody. But if I can get to work quicker or if I can have healthier mm-hmm. air to, you know, all my, it's going to safeguard certain areas of, of the world or, you know, where I live or food I enjoy. Then, you know, these are the things that people connect to at a very base level. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, this is, you know, lots of this is about kind of not shying away from the, the challenges yeah. and the difficulties, but also kind of making it cool and making it something that you exactly. want to live by. I mean, you know, why should it just be the... Um, you, you know the ability of well-off people to have good, good quality locally sourced food because they've been able to buy it from an organic, you know, farm shop. You know, the, the state is providing um, thousands and well, millions, probably, of, of, of meals every day in schools, in yeah. older people's homes, in hospitals, and so on. Um, so, actually, you know, we should be linking up to make sure that we're looking at the supply chain of that, to support local people, to get a good quality meal um, to people and to support, um, you know, decarbonisation targets or, you know, helping to, 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 to reduce our kind of impact on the environment. So it's those sorts of things where I think, you know, telling that, telling that story is really, really important. Yeah. Giving people solutions as well as, you know, not just the problems of, you know, here's a roadmap. And this mm-hmm. is what we're going to do along the way. And this is what we need you to do in order mm-hmm. to bring you on that journey. So you mm-hmm. become part of the solution. And you know what? Some of the stuff you're not going to like because you're going to change a whole lifetime of habits. And mm-hmm. we are going to get some stuff wrong, which is where I think a lot of businesses are now like just not talking about it. We're going to get some stuff wrong. And do you know what? That's okay too. But it's way better than doing absolutely nothing and having that don't look up moment, isn't it? You're so right. And, and I think that bit about being willing to fail is so, so important. And I think, um, you know, that is actually easier in many respects for the private sector. Um, you know, nobody likes to fail, but, you know, if we're not failing regularly, we're not trying hard enough. We're are failing we? catastrophically yeah. at the moment, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we are, we are. But I mean, in terms of trying new things. And, yes. And, one of the things that I've, you know, really been sort of pushing in the in the, the public sector, and I can see, you know, the barriers to this. It's like, you know, our approach to audit. We'll look at auditing, you know, a new thing that you've done, um, and we'll call you out and we'll, you know, crucify you in audit, or, um, you know, you, you'll be pulled over the coals by other politicians or by the media or what have you if you get these things wrong but who is reporting on the things that we're like that are just continually failing um so actually trying new things that go wrong is a much better because you know you'll try a number of things and then you'll get it right won't you or you know maybe you try five things and four of them fail and one of them you know starts to starts to change things that is far better than just this the the slow and increasing I suppose drip of failure um, that is leading us to a climate catastrophe and you know growing wealth inequality and you know I could go on and on for all the challenges but But also share that isn't it share that best practice but also share those failures because then Mm -hmm. other people won't go down that road and then when you share the best practice and this is when, uh, when we first started this podcast we introduced we interviewed 
a lady from the Royal Borough of Windsor and Maidenhead and we were talking about, you know, do you go to other councils and talk to them about the stuff they're doing that's working? No. Why? Because everyone's quite isolated. The budgets are also really isolated. It's like, wow. And then there's a website I heard about um, on a podcast the other day called c40.org, which is is the mayors of cities who are battling climate change and sharing, whoa, Mm -hmm. their best practice on it. And it is, we absolutely need that on a global level, don't we? We need yeah. those sustainable cities, sustainable towns, sustainable countries who are leading mm-hmm. the way to start sharing what's working because that, that picks up the scale and pace that we desperately need. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's a saying in there that like, good practice doesn't travel well. And I think that that is the, the case. And I think there's a few factors there. I think, um, you know, our, our, our public services and, you know, public policy environment is full of incredibly different, Diff, uh, sorry, incredibly busy people yeah. who are, you know, responding to crises on almost every front now. You know, the the, the I, I reckon it's going to be in. You know, when that that the kind of you know the new words in the Oxford English Dictionary sort of pop out. Is it every January or something like that? Yeah. Poly crisis. If it's not already yeah. in there, like yeah. definitely the next one, won't it? Um, you know, so so there are all these these crises. Um, I have an utter frustration about external bodies producing more and more reports describing the crisis or issuing a series of recommendations of what people should do about them. Now, okay, we need some of that. But the issue here is these people need capacity. They like the capacity of our organizations during austerity have been stripped away. Yeah. We want them to be involving citizens and, you know, listening to real life experiences so they can make better policy, which actually, you know, do actually deliver for people. And yet we've stripped all of that capacity yeah. we away. We need those resources, don't we? We yeah. do. We need that we need that and, and they also need that kind of hand holding. I, I think that there's something about, you know, I've I've described it as like SWAT teams, and I don't mean kind of like your big five consulting agencies, no. you know. In. I think we need, you know, if we could top slice perhaps or take out some people like your C40 um, yeah. mayors or like your uh, people in your different local authorities to say, right, we're going to form you into a SWAT team. Someone else described it the other week as a guerrilla movement. And actually, yeah. we're going to go in to this local authority, that health board, yeah. that organization, and we're going to share with you our learning which is very similar context to yours. Yes. And we're going to work alongside you and we're going to help you to navigate all the blockers and, and so on. That's what people need, yeah. not another report to yeah. add to the pile of reports they haven't read because they're yeah. too busy. That costs yeah. a lot of money to produce. Quite, yeah. 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 But that's a real practical, tangible, experiential, let's get in, let's work together, yeah. let's solve something collectively and then... You know, we're here. Then you're growing. Then a kind of alumni, aren't you, of everybody? And you're just growing that network of of support for one another. And everybody yeah. feels like they're on the same path towards the same yeah. things, sharing the same. You know, I mean, that's just a, a wonderful community. Mm. Oh, yeah. um, well, if somebody could make that happen, Sophie, it sounds like it's you. So, uh, <laughs> well, we, we've been doing it in Wales. You know, we yeah. that, that's the approach that we took. We were yeah. building a movement. We were finding these people that I call the frustrated champions. Yeah, the people can see that there's a better way of doing things exactly and just, just frustrated bringing them together um them you know sharing with other organizations what they've done um me providing a bit of like prodding where things weren't yep. moving fast yep. enough or sometimes helping them to break down barriers for things yep. um, to progress and so on 
And, um, you know, we've still got a lot of work to do, but there's yeah. some really brilliant stuff starting to happen in Wales. Fantastic, fantastic. I love that, Frustrated Champions. I think I might borrow that for, uh, <laughs> for, for our, the, the work we're doing around bringing marketers together because there's a lot of Frustrated Champions in that yeah. space too. Brilliant. I fear we could talk to you and just go on and on and on. We're definitely going to have to catch up over, <laughs> over I'm a, chopsy. a glass of wine. Absolutely. Well, we're all chopsy girls on this podcast, <laughs> so that's all good. Um, so we like to ask all our guests the three same quickfire questions to wrap up the show. The first one, Sophie, is can marketing save the planet? What's your view? Um, I think it's got a part in saving the planet. I think it needs to fundamentally transform what it does. And I think it needs to leverage its power to public good if it's going to, to do that. And what do you hope business and governments look like in 10 years' time? Ooh, right. So um, I would like to see a uh, much greater blurring of the boundaries between government, other public sector organisations um, and um, and so on. Um, I would like to see um, a future generations commissioner in every country in the world and legal requirements on all of our governments to act yeah. in the interest of the future generations. Wonderful. Well, well, I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that one. And if you were to give one piece of advice to our listeners around taking, I suppose, leadership in this space and 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 owning it uh, and driving things forward. What would that be? Um, so I think what I would say is connect, 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 um, and a few different sort of elements uh, to that. So first of all, you should connect with unusual suspects. So the people you don't normally come into contact with because they know stuff that you don't know and you know stuff that they don't know. And when you bring that knowledge together, you often get a completely different perception of how you might collectively act on a a, a problem or a a challenge or or an opportunity. Um, I think the other part of um, connecting is that, um, you know, we need to, it can be quite an isolating uh, an, iso- an isolated place, being a frustrated champion, being someone who wants to drive change. Yeah. So you need to find your tribe um, because there's safety in numbers and there's power in, in numbers. And there will be people across your organisation, potentially even across your department, definitely across your sector, who are these frustrated champions who are trying to drive change in isolation. And I think there's something there around finding who those people are, how can you mutually support each other, how can you develop a kind of, you know, another sort of nonsense public sector term, but a community of practice. But, you know, so bring a load of people together to yeah. share good ideas and yeah. help each other and support each other to get them implemented. So I think, you know, connecting there is is really, really important. And you've also got to just be really tenacious yeah. in doing that. Yeah, fabulous. Three more. Fabulous. So. So I think where can people find out more about uh, the what Wales are doing mm-hmm. and um, and the seven goals? So you can have a look at the Future Generations Commissioner website, which is um, futuregenerations.wales. Um, you can follow me on um, Twitter at Sophie Howe with an E on the end um, or, or LinkedIn. Well, we will make sure all links and all access to you and the wonderful, wonderful, inspirational uh, stuff that is being driven by you and the, the courage and bravery of, of Wales um, in leading in this space. And uh, I'm just, you know, going to stay 
ears open, eyes open, uh, looking forward for whatever comes next. Thank you. It was so lovely to speak to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.